Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Welcome to the March 22nd, 2019 edition of the Out of the Question podcast. My name is Andrea Schwartz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Reverend Steve Macias. Hey, Steve. Hi there, Andrea. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, we took a little break, and now we're back. All right. The question we're asking today, should Christians join and serve in the military? So, Steve, what's the more basic question that needs to be addressed before we can answer this question? Well, I think that there are a couple of questions that people are are asking that get them to this point. One of them is, uh, what is it about the American military as it is today that would give us pause? Is there still a Christian role or a Christian identity to America and its military? And does its encroachments or actions over the last 50 years take away from that? And then also, there's this modern idea that somehow uh, Christianity is to be a religion of, of peace or pacifism. And so in the mind of the modern, there are these kind of conflicting ideas of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be an American? And what exactly is military service and its relation to our picture of who Jesus is? Today, we have a guest, and he is someone who can answer both questions with perspective. Joseph Graham is a Chalcedon underwriter and he has an impressive bio. Joe has been married to his wife, Jess, for nearly 20 years, and together they are expecting their 10th, that's right, you heard it, their 10th child. They served for over 20 years in the U.S. Navy, Joe having recently retired. And when I asked him for his bio, I liked the fact that he said they had served. He didn't just say he had served, he said they had served. And if you know much about military wives, you know they very much serve in the Navy or whatever branch of the services. Joe initially enlisted before becoming an officer and an electronic attack fighter pilot. Now, I have to interject here. When my husband first found out about who Joe was and got to meet him, he would say to me, do you know how extraordinary and unusual it is for someone to rise to the level in the Navy of being a pilot, having started off as an enlisted man? And then he would say, you know, Joe is like Top Gun. And I'd go, really? Joe is like Top Gun? He'd go, yeah, Joe is like Top Gun. Anyway, to continue, Joe and his family live on Whidbey Island in Washington State and now post-service is pursuing a number of different family business endeavors. Joseph has become a Christian Reconstruction Pacific Northwest Regional Facilitator for a number of different events in his state, partnering with us, the Calcedon Foundation, and local churches, hosting events, and publishing family resources, sharing the importance of Reconstructionist thought and the faith for all of life. We're on audio, so you can't see me salute Joe, but I salute you and welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here with both you, uh, Andrew and Steve. All right, so weigh in. Not only can you talk about it from a Christian perspective, having recently retired, you can talk about it in the service and post-service, although not a very long time since you just retired this, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. 
yeah, it's it's actually pretty uh, fresh still. I'm I'm still in the stages where I'm trying to grow as much facial hair as I possibly can. So that's how fresh I am from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's been good. I mean, yeah, I, absolutely. Like you said, uh, service is not just for the service member, but it's for the entire family. And we had our retirement ceremony not too long ago, and uh, they. They provided uh, certificates for everyone in the family, which I thought was really, really special because you really are your entire family is just absorbed in the duties that we are required to engage in whenever you are employed by the by the military. So it's it's a challenge for sure for the family. So I'm I'm grateful for for the service that I had, but I'm also extremely happy that I get to go and do something else now. So what's the what's the basis the basic uh, of the question that you want me to to kind of address? As far, as far as I remember, I don't think you were a believer when you joined the service. Is that correct? No, I was not. No. Okay, so your your reasons for joining? Why did you join back then? Well, uh, so I joined straight out of high school. Pretty much, I had a little bit of military experience in a, a military school for high school. I knew that I hadn't discipline myself well enough in high school to really move on. And I didn't have a whole lot of ambition about what I wanted to do. So I knew that I could function in a military environment with the structure and the training that they were going to provide me. And so I, I kind of just joined expecting that, that it was going to give me something to do that would get me out of my town and, uh, and just kind of set me on a course, some course, and I could just fix and make adjustments later on. So, uh, so actually Jessica and I, we met each other shortly after I joined. So, you know, we've, we've been in essentially almost since the very beginning together and, uh, and we didn't get saved until I was already at my first duty station in San Diego. So I, uh, already finished my training and, uh, and then we got saved then. And so it's been a, so it was a very different radical shift for us as far as the mentality of what we were doing right, right away, right off the bat. So. That was kind of how everything pretty much started for us back then. So in having this transformation in your life, which, first of all, it's a blessing when husband and wife come to faith close to each other because there can be definite issues and problems not. But did you question, should I be here? Is there a place for me here? Does God want me here? Things like that. I don't think I had the, the maturation to really to really think. I mean, I, I was so seeped in standard cultural thought that it didn't really didn't really cross my mind that there were particulars about the Christian faith that might impact necessarily particular life choices that I made. So at that at that point, at that stage, it was pretty early. And I mean that still even after at, I didn't get accepted into this officer program until after I was saved. So I already kind of had that inclination that I wanted to do that. And then as soon as I got accepted, which happened when I was at about the six year mark, the program that I got accepted into basically was going to dictate for me about the next dozen or so years of my life. So I was almost already committed to a particular path you know, right, right out, right out the gate. As soon as it, as soon as it happened, you know, I had my college, which was three years, my flight training, which is to be another two years. I had eight years of service after that. Once I got my wings. So I almost had my entire timeline set all the way to retirement. So I was kind of locked in. I didn't have a whole lot of choice in the matter, which I guess is a big aspect <laughs> of being in the military. There's a significant loss of freedom there that, that you sacrifice. 
Okay, so did you ever experience internal conflict? Okay, I'm here because I have to be here. But that, did you feel that maybe this wasn't the right place to be, even though you were there? I think for for a majority of the, the training aspects, when I was stationed in the United States, that was not as big of a deal for me. But as, as I started to grow more and, and learn about what are my what are my particular responsibilities and and there's interesting here and we're not necessarily talking about it here but there's two different oaths of office which are a really interesting um, contrast if you look at it when you enlist you take a particular oath of office and when you become an officer you take a totally different oath of office and so I was more cognizant of what my responsibilities were becoming an officer as far as what what I was there taking an oath to do which was support defend the Constitution. And so thinking about that, that definitely started to influence me more as far as what choices I was going to make, because there is a significant amount of pressure inside of the military to conform and to just obey orders, which obviously certainly has its place, but they don't respond well to a lack of conformity. Uh, which which can be a significant challenge if you run up against principles that are in conflict with what you believe or what you would want to exercise. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, for Americans who who kind of grow up with a military hero idea, right? We we have George Washington, we have uh, all of our military figures that were taught in school, and we're given a kind of a rosy picture of a, a marriage between Christian faith and and. American military today and in your experience, what has been the kind of religious atmosphere? Uh, what is the spiritual condition of, of your branch and your experience? Well, the, the religious atmosphere is purely secular. It's a hundred percent in that vein. And it's not even just that I would say, well, they, they make accommodations to some extent for Christians. I would say they are make excessive accommodations for anyone outside of the Christian faith. I mean, the, the role of the, of the chaplaincy in, in my experience for what I've seen has been heavily, heavily degraded and they're having to compromise uh, significantly performing their duties and, and making accommodations. I think, you know, they had to start allowing in several of the places I served uh, Wiccan services and allowing them places where they could where they could worship, you know, inside of, uh, of standard chapels. And it just seemed to be a real, real challenge. I mean, if if I tried to put my foot down, maybe about something and say related to the Sabbath, that probably wasn't going to go over very well with my boss. So there's just a lot that you're going to have to. <laughs> you're going to have to give up. And if you want to take a very principled stand on something, you almost are kind of writing yourself a ticket to flag yourself and, you know, kind of be a label, the troublemaker, I guess, unofficially. Did you notice that there were a lot of other believers who were having to encounter the same sort of decisions and things to think about? Did you, did you all end up finding each other? Uh, so I mean, there's there's lots of resources for uh, for us. I mean, the the Navigator Society they're still they're still active in the military, and especially when you're overseas, they have opportunities through the different chaplain services that the you know that the, that the churches offer uh, that are valuable, that are certainly helpful, and so you do get an opportunity to kind of rally around with other different services in the same same faith background. 
And, you know, they're all getting a very different experience because you've got maintainers, you've got officers, you've got Air Force guys, you've got Navy guys, you've got the full, uh, full broad spe- spectrum. I think still largely you have typical standard modern, modern evangelicalism that exists, you know, throughout the military. So whether or not those people are experiencing the same amount of conflict, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't experience as many people who had that kind of reservation about what they were doing, but, but some people for sure certainly started to have difficulties or challenges regarding, you know, the excessive extent of patrolling that the United States government does across the world. I mean, we used then the Navy is, you know, since I've been in, it's gone through several iterations of their slogan or their mantra. You know, it was like, uh, you know, full speed, full speed ahead. Uh, and then the one that they had recently that kind of just dro- drove me nuts was uh, a global force for good and kind of just <laughs> admitting like, oh, we're, we are the globe's police force. And I was just like, this is terrible. Like, this is really, really bad. <laughs> this is not this is not our job why are we why are we doing this and and you know when we're having to have a presence all over the the world to basically protect united states government interests i mean after a while it, it just you know it can be kind of unnerving and irritating you talk about the secularism that exists there in the military as somebody who's serving how do you feel you know, about the politicization or politicization of different issues? You know, last 20 years, we've seen uh, homosexuality uh, addressed in the military. Recently, we've seen transgenderism addressed in the military, you know, women coming into the military. There's, there's lots of ideas that are from the political sphere that are kind of put onto service men and women. You know, things like changing policies on who can speak to the military, what chaplains are required to do. What do you think that does to the faith of those inside the military, uh, do you think the politics have created an environment that is hostile to Christian faith? Uh, yeah, so this is a really, you know, this is a really challenging uh, subject. So as an, as an example, my, my brother, so he joined the military about the time that I got my commission, which is in about 2008, and he went to go serve on the uh, USS Carl Vinson um, and he did, I think, three deployments, uh, one right after the other. And then he uh, ended up on shore duty out here in Whidbey Island, where we live. And and as you know, as, as you say, the politicalization of the military started to happen. And they were now he's on the enlisted side, right? I'm I'm in the officer, so we're kind of a little bit insulated for some of that stuff. But for the enlisted side, I mean, they are telling you exactly what to think and what you can do and what you can't do. And they're telling you what is and is not acceptable. Whereas they don't, they don't treat the officers quite the same way like that. You know, we're, we're allowed some autonomy to at least have our own principles. But I mean, if they want, if they want us to enforce certain things, I mean, unfortunately you're kind of stuck. But I, he was telling me about how his chiefs and everything, they were, they were having training. It was basically like religious training to tell them these behaviors are okay. We're going to accept these people. This is what uh, equal opportunity means. This is what this is. This is what it isn't. And uh, and he, I mean, he's he's my brother, and so obviously we talk about uh, a lot of stuff. He he kind of voiced his own concerns and said, you know what, this is not this is not right. <laughs> like this is not okay. We can't just say that these sorts of behaviors or whatever are acceptable and okay, and then not only just say that it's okay, but start accommodating them inside of the military in general. And, 
it did not take him very long before he finally just decided, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to be here anymore. And so he actually decided to get out after his, I think his second tour because he just couldn't, you know, he just couldn't handle it anymore. And, uh, you know, that's a really, really tough decision for anybody to make, uh, just in general, the, the military breeds sort of this security type of mindset. And when they're pushing this agenda on you, it can be very, very, very difficult for you to, to feel like, you know, you're, you're basically being indoctrinated and, and used uh, as a tool uh, almost of this agenda, this politicized agenda. And it, it's, it's in no way related to, to your actual function <laughs> for what you were trained to do. It's just like, it's like this political sensitivity training that you're required to participate in. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty unnerving. So let me ask you this question, Joe. So this is what's going on and people have to accept it. From your experience, has there been an obvious degradation of the morality and ethics of those who are in the service who don't seem to have a conflict with the new political correctness? Uh, it would be difficult uh, to say because obviously you're making vast sweeping generalizations. I mean, I think my impression, my experience is that the military is honestly just getting a, a segment slice of society. I mean, when you, when you look at the culture and you say, wow, this is warfare that we're existing, that, that's occurring out here, those same people join the military. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it's not like you're getting this, this, this purest uh, slice of, you know, just, just the best and the brightest. I mean, because because you can have academic aptitude up and down the, the political spectrum, but you're just getting a slice of the, of the culture. So, so I mean, if, if there has been moral degradation, which I personally think there has been, it has just been right in line with where the culture at large has been going. So the military is not a refuge uh, for moral purity. The, it, it's not, it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm not sure too many people thought it was, but just it's good to hear it. Now, it's funny that when you talk about your view now from the other side, my father served in the military in World War II as a physician. And post-World War II, he had his own practice. And one of the things my mother always used to say is, don't marry a doctor. Because she, he was a general practitioner. He'd get up in the middle of the night and go to families' homes if they had a sick child. So if one of your sons or someone you were mentoring said, I think I want to join the military, how would your answer be the same or different than your wife's answer? Well, it would be, I, I think my wife and I would probably be on the same, on the same page here, but I've had to have that conversation with plenty of young men that are thinking about that. And, and honestly, my, my goal in that is I'm not trying to tell them one way or the other what they need to do, but I definitely want to let them know what the experience is going to be like and what they're getting into. I mean, you, when you're joining, if you're, if you're enlisting, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to be very uh, independent as far as what you're being taught, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. You're just not going to get that, that sort of autonomy. So whatever it is that they want to teach you or indoctrinate you with, you're basically just going to be, passive and you have to absorb it if you want to have the opportunity to even survive 
Um, in the officer route, it's probably a little bit different depending on what specific particular job that you want because you can just be isolated in your particular field and uh, there may be not as much of that initial pressure. Although eventually as you get higher and you see how the politics, I suppose, uh, of the military exists, that, that's still going to occur. But, but I, don't, I don't want people to go in thinking, at least not to be uninformed, <laughs> and have some sort of rosy picture about what it's going to be like. And, you know, just, oh, I'm just going to do a bunch of push-ups and, and that's it. No, I mean, you, you may have to do some sort of, uh, I mean, even for Marines, you may have to do combat training and you're going to be, you know, have, have to do your training right there, men and women together. And if they pit you against each other, I mean, you, you see those articles about the guys who don't want to do the, the wrestling because he doesn't want to wrestle a girl. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they're going to let you, that you're going to have those sort of convictions. Um, when you're in those type of environments, when you're serving right alongside them, um, because it, you know, from the military's perspective, it's going to, it's going to degrade the effectiveness of the unit. And so even though you're maybe trying to maintain some sort of, you know, it, some sort of uh, chivalry that that's going to conflict with what they're trying to do. And it, it, it could create, it could create challenges for you. But in the same respect, if you, I mean, if you start treating people differently, then, then you're going to get into equal opportunity type of issues that the military is extremely sensitive uh, over. You know, I mean, they, I, I walked into my, uh, to my admin department and June is probably like my least favorite month in the whole year because June is, uh, you know, it's a LGBTQ awareness month and they start playing on the uh, AFNET all these very pro homosexual movies, you know, like Broken Mountain and Philadelphia and, and they put up all the, the gay pride flags and you're just like, Oh, my goodness, this, like, seriously, we, we can't even be <laughs> worried about being effective as a fighting force here. Now we have to accommodate every single minority. And this one in particular is, is you know, is extremely offensive, at least to me. But it's like, God, can we just get this month over with and go on and get back to just doing our jobs? So, you know, the, the people have to be kind of ready for that, which, you know, it's hard to prepare them for on the outside. You know, I hope they don't end up becoming a lemming, but they need to understand that they're going to be at the mercy of the military. So that's that's a big a big thing for them to realize. All right, so I'm going to push the question a little harder. Your sons, okay, would you be recommending that knowing what you know, that if your son said, Dad, I think I want to join the service, you would encourage them? Uh, I I have not. No, no, I've my, my sons, no, I and, and, and definitely not my daughters, but no, my, my sons, they, I mean, I've encouraged them to other areas where I think, because I, because, you know, this is kind of separate from the, you know, from whether or not the military is right, but, you know, we're, st Christians are supposed to be culture shapers, like, right, that's, that's kind of what the Great Commission is, is all about, and if, and if you end up being a pawn all the time, then you're not going to be a culture shaper, so if, you know, it's seriously when I when I talk to my sons, like, you know, no, that now none of them, none of them are interested in it. But I know other young men who are. But you know, just kind of get down. What what in the world is it that you're after? I mean, are you seriously just after a job? Are you trying to get a paycheck or something like that? You know, and I mean, you know, I don't have much influence over some of them. But for for my boys, I'll you know, I'll tell them like, listen, we can make money anywhere. We don't have to sacrifice our principles or our freedoms in order to do it. And we certainly don't have to sacrifice the ability to be influencing the culture that is, that is drastically going, uh, you know, the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why in the world would we want to subject ourselves to that 
and, uh, and, and have to compromise, you know, and have this struggle all the time consistently. I, I would seriously not, not advocate for that. Now you said, and certainly not my daughters, which I would agree with, and the scripture would be consistent with that. But I have spoken to women who are married to those enlisted in the, the Navy, who they themselves were part of the service before they got married. And some of the stories they tell are not comforting. And I've seen documentaries that talk about the rampant sexual immorality and the victimization of women in the service. Can you comment about that? I mean, I didn't, uh, I certainly didn't experience any, any of that. And I certainly wasn't a part of, of any of that, but you know, I had this, here's one, like one example, and this doesn't have to do necessarily with women in the service, but I, you know, this was as a pilot, I was going into training to do my carrier qualification training. And they give you like basically a smart pack, which is a packet of information that is readily available. So you can flip through it quickly. So you can, if, if you have something going on in the cockpit, and on the last page of the smart pack that they gave you, they have this very lewd picture in the back that I don't, I don't know what the purpose of it is for. Just, I guess to, you know, you know, like, ha, it looks funny. We put a picture of a half naked woman in here and I go and I talk to the, uh, I talked to the instructor afterwards and I said, Hey, why, why is this in here? Like, this isn't necessary. It has nothing to do with our mission. Why are you putting it in here? And he proceeds to just tell me about the long military history of pinup girls and painting women on jets and all this stuff. And I was just like, you're going to defend this. Like with the, with the hyper sensitivity to the, to the abuse and sexualization that's happening in the military and how much they're against, you know, sexual awareness prevention and all that stuff. But because they, they are admitting that it's a problem. You're going, you're going to just defend uh, putting this in here. I, I mean, it, I didn't, I didn't press the issue, but it was, it was pretty unfortunate that that was coming from, you know, from the instructor that we had. Um, now, I mean, like I said, I haven't, I haven't been a part of that, but certainly it's certainly an issue that they've, that they've talked about. They have special programs for that, for, you know, proper reporting and things like that. So it's, yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't, I can't put my daughters in that, in that kind of environment. It's challenging when I see the, you know, when I, when I see the things that are happening and I mean, I'm, when you're, when you're in the, when you're in the service and you, you're engaging with people, I mean, you know, across uh, ethnicities or across, uh, you know, sexes or across sexual genders or whatever it is, I mean, ultimately just trying to treat people kindly and respectfully and, and, and just execute a mission. Right. We're trying not to get into all this other stuff, but it's the after hours things. That's, that's when people start getting into trouble and they are spending all this free time together. And now that, that's when people have problems, you know, it's usually not during work. It's usually after that, but, but that's just part of that. You know, that's just part of the environment that's created by what the military does. So people are going to be subjected to that potential danger, unfortunately. Right. No, absolutely. And as we look through the history of Christians and their relation to military service, I think what we're seeing today in the American military and probably in, in most Western military forces is really a, a resurgence of, of idolatry and, and paganism. It comes to mind to think about the first few hundred years of the church, where we have some of the church fathers, men like uh, Tertullian, who explicitly banned men in their churches from being part of military service. 
And I think that there's a lesson here in the early church's bands that is related to what you're talking about. Early church concerned that men who joined the Roman military would have to participate in their sacrifices of bulls, have to participate in casting uh, you know, incense before images, things like that. These kind of rituals that showed their allegiance to a certain ideology or a certain uh, deity. And I think we're seeing a very similar uh, type of thing happen today, but instead of being some uh, pagan god like, like Jupiter, the paganism is you know, homosexuality or uh, universalism or polytheism or respecting the equality of religions. You know, there's this new idolatry that's forming. And I think that that is very troubling for many Christians to see that they would be committing their, their lives to something that requires them to participate in some form of, of idolatry. Wouldn't you agree with that kind of, of thinking? Yeah, definitely. I think it would be, it's, it's not the same form, at least when we're when we read about it uh, historically, but certainly there are uh, cows that we are required to honor and respect, regardless of whether or not we agree with it. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that there are probably, there's a group of folks today who also uh, would be opposed to military service, you know, folks like pacifists or, or folks who think that Jesus wouldn't allow killing, but obviously we can look through Christian history and see godly men who were soldiers who defended their homes, their lands, their properties, their families through arms. What would you say to those folks who would take the words of our Lord who says, you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword uh, as a way to prohibit any type of military or, or armed service? I mean, I'm, I'm all for peace, <laughs> for, certainly. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like just because people are in the military there. <laughs> I mean, I remember I was talking to some, some young, young man and he was talking about the, what the military goes out there and does. And he just says, Oh, they're just out there. They're just killing people all over the place. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, <laughs> that's not what the, that's not what the military does. I mean, it, it's just, you know, like, no. <laughs> uh, but as far as like people who want to be pacifists, I mean, if that's, if that's their personal preference, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to stop stop somebody one way or the other, but uh, but for Christians, I don't see you know like like you had mentioned, there's a there's a right and a duty and responsibility for us to engage in defense, protect protect what's ours, and and be defensive and be ready to protect your own borders. But but the real the real question to me in my mind is the military the proper tool and is it executing that proper function? I mean, it, it's hard to say that we are defending our property, our assets, if we are sending those assets into Korea and, and we have to be present there. So we put a bunch of our property out there and, uh, and soldiers and sailors and airmen and whoever, and then in, in a foreign country and then assume that, yeah, no, this is some little sovereign piece of United States territory that we're leasing from, you know, another country. And all of a sudden, now we're being defensive if something happens and we're protecting our assets. Like, I think that's a stretch uh, of the imagination. So it, it gets a little bit deeper, at least from the principal uh, perspective, which I think would be an interesting discussion. You know, and I, and I take more, obviously, of the, the libertarian perspective that I think we are overreaching, certainly, and kind of gone way beyond what, what is proper for America to just protect their own interests. I think it's, it's gotten... The military is being used as a as an economic tool as well as just a political tool. Yeah, I think you're right, and 
it, maybe it's over 10 years ago now, but uh, when Dr. Ron Paul, you, you, know, you mentioned a libertarian, uh, ran for president, he had you know overwhelming support amongst uh, servicemen. I think I remember him boasting that he had 10 times as many donors in the military than any other candidate. And I think that there probably is a common sentiment you would probably know from experience of folks who are inside the military system recognize that uh, America's current position is probably overstretching what the Constitution allows and what the Christian conscience should permit. Yeah, that's what that, I mean. That's what it's. That's what it seems like. It's hard to. It's hard to say. It's not when you I mean we have the. You know the the military has their map. You know, and they're spending billions and billions of dollars, and the map is basically just uh, who's going where and where they're going to be there and for how long or whatever. And so it's already pre-planned. It's already scheduled. It's like it doesn't even matter what's happening in the future. We are already expecting to commit tons of assets and resources to these various areas just to be available in case in case whatever happens, you know, which comes at huge expense, massive expense. You know, not not just monetarily, but we've got to send. You know, for the in the Navy, you've got to send people on deployment for nine months. That's a long, that's a really really long time, and it gets it gets incredibly hard on families. I mean, and th and that's just another reason where you know the the biblical idea where we're going to be an all volunteer force, and if there's any of us who is afraid or or has something they need to take care of, you know, they're just freshly newly married and they need to, you know, plant their trees and, and you know, harvest their, get their first harvest. Like none of that exists in the military today. It's like, nope, that's where we're going. You're stationed here. Here we go. Bye. See you later. You know, kiss your wife and kids goodbye. Uh, good, good luck. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that's a real, real tragedy too. Well, and you see it, it's a complete divorce from Western tradition. I mean, you have just in St. Augustine, the idea of just war, but what other Western power has this idea of, of military service being a constant, uh, aggressive empire? Well, I think that's part of the reason that Christians are asking, you know, can we be Christians in the military? And I know that Andrea has, has discussed this with me before, but so much of military spending today is not for defensive spending. It's what stuff you're talking about, occupying and, uh, economic benefit there is i guess the best way to describe this uh, ideological motivations behind a lot of our military today i think we saw a, a large shift in 2001 on we some we have a new enemy of, of terrorism and lots of evangelicals and christians recognize that there was evil in the world and here we saw the u.s military as a tool that could address that evil how would you address a family or, or discuss the issue of doesn't America have the responsibility to answer threats to our family safeties? Doesn't America have the responsibility to protect our interests, even using a big military? I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, do we have the, I mean, can we wield that tool? You know, if, if we're saying, Hey, we're going to wield the tool of the, of the pagan military. And, and it's not like, it's not like, like God doesn't use unbelievers to, to execute his purposes. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's a problem at all. It's, it's another thing to say whether or not Christians are the ones wielding the tool or whether God is the one who's doing it. So, I mean, I, I think that still individually Christians have to come to terms on their own and determine whether or not 
they need to participate in that, whether the sacrifices are worth it. Does that mean necessarily that the military can't be used as a tool in some sense? And if it is pagan, I certainly think it still, it still can be. But that's a totally different story than saying we need to maintain a 17, 18-year presence in a country like Afghanistan for a terrorist attack that occurred you know, back at the, the turn of the millennium. That, that's a totally different type of discussion. And it, you can tell that we're obviously doing more than just defeating our enemies because, I mean, there's no, we're not we're not going to run out we're not going to run out of enemies until Christ has put them all under his feet. So, I feel we'd be hard pressed to imagine that this is the way that God wants us to do it. Uh, this this consistent presence from a centralized government to be keeping things in check across the globe like that does not that does not comport with what what the uh, the biblical perspective is. That's a that's a status perspective. Well, to me, it's always difficult, even if you aspire to say that the United States is going around the world helping people, so long as the United States has legalized things which God forbids, there's no real reason from a Christian perspective to assume that God will bless a nation that has, in essence, thumbed its nose at him. So the real question is, do Christians have a place in reforming the military, as opposed to deciding the way many Christians have, we're not even going to go into the public schools anymore because there's no reforming it. They shouldn't be there in the first place. They were founded in order to subvert Christianity. Do you think it's a similar thing with the military or would you say different circumstance? No, I mean, I would say it's exactly the same. I mean, that's something that my wife and I had discussed. It was like, well... I mean, again, just like in the public school, you send a student in there into a classroom, he is not going to be influencing what is taught in that classroom. He's not going to be, he's going to have almost zero influence in uh, in what, what the environment or the culture is that's occurring in that room. And it's naive to assume that, that he can do that. You know, now it's totally different. You pull him out and now you can create your own culture. Uh, that's That's a different story. So I mean, just in the same vein where we're saying that our judicial system has been corrupted, I don't see any reason why Christians can't create alternative institutions that stay faithful to biblical principles and still at least, you know, try as best they can to fall under United States law, at least if they're in the United States. Not that that's supreme, but, you know, but I think that that's completely appropriate if Christians are able to find a way and find the maturity and execute those principles properly, I think that would be a better decision. Right. And we don't want to divorce ourselves from the sovereignty of God. You weren't a believer when you joined the military and you leave as a not only believer, but as one who's heading a family and endeavoring to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So God is not hampered by the decisions we make, and all things do work together for good. But there's an issue that, and maybe this is because I'm female, and I put myself in the shoes, and God doesn't ever intend a female to be in those shoes unless she's defending her home or her children or her family or whatever. What about, like, for example, we we heard of Nuremberg, how they were tried for things that they did, and they were, quote-unquote, following orders, or some of the more notable things that happened in Vietnam with the Melee Massacre and things like that. 
how are service people geared in terms of what seems to be an inconsistency? You're going to be responsible for what you do, even if you're following orders. Yeah, I think the I think the government has, or at least the military has, kind of uh, addressed that. I mean, yes, you are supposed to obey orders of those who put it over you, but they're supposed to be lawful orders too, right? It's the same thing, like in my house. Like I may be the head of my home, and my wife may be supposed to submit to me, but she doesn't have to be complicit in evil that I am, you know, trying to execute or wield uh, through her. So she doesn't have to do that. And the, the same thing is true, and at least the principle, at least through the military and the UCMJ, is, you know, is still there. It does, does exist. So you do have the ability. It's not like you just have to do everything that they say, but you have to understand, if you don't, obey what they say, you take an alternative, you know, application of whatever it is that you're supposed to be executing, it may or may not affect your future and what happens in your reports and evaluations and further problems. And maybe you end up in, in the, in the legal track, you know, as far as in their processing, I mean, who knows, but, uh, but that, that does happen too as well. But you just have to, you, again, you just have to not be afraid of that. So that's why I want people to understand it. Like stand up for what's right and do and do what's right. Don't compromise on your principles, but understand that the government, the military, is going to have consequences for that as well. That's right, and I think what you're what you're describing is is not something new to Christians. The name that comes to mind for me is Saint George, the patron saint of all soldiers. Somebody who was a, a leader in the Roman military at the end of the third century, and Saint George is from a, a military family. You know, his family had earned their citizenship through service to the Roman military. But when Emperor Diocletian came to power, St. George faced a similar circumstance that I think many uh, Christians who served in, in Vietnam or in Iraq or uh, any of our, our conflicts of the last 50 years might have faced in that they're wondering what exactly is the line for which uh, I have to obey my conscience or obey the military I serve. And once Diocletian sent out an edict demanding basically the, the genocide of Christians, uh, St. George, who commanded an, uh, his own military under the Romans, took a stand against the emperor and faced charges and eventually death for it. And so uh, to kind of go along with what you're saying, maybe there is a time when uh, not only will we face uh, legal consequences or persecution or demotion by being in the military, but maybe again Christians will face a type of, of martyrdom and through that uh, renewal of saintliness inside the military, you know, there's only a few a few decades between the death of Saint George and the rise of Constantine and uh, a Christian empire, and so maybe it's time for Christians who are actively officers in the military to stand for what's what are Christian values and morals, and, and have a renewed hope for the future of American uh, military intervention. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that uh, you know, obviously, the Lord has has many, many fine and wonderful people up and down in the military. So it's, it's not like, it's not like it's just this huge, hugely, totally perverted culture. I mean, there are plenty of, of absolutely admirable and great people that have had the pleasure of working with and for. So they're still, they're still there. And, you know, sometimes they leave and sometimes new ones come in, you know, so, but on the whole, on the average, the shift uh, of what's happening and the pressure, it, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a Christian sort of pressure. 
Well, before we go, I'd like to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about you being the dad of nine and soon to be on the scene, 10 children. How did you maintain your position as dad in the midst of deployments and going in different places and having to live in different places? And how did your children stay connected to you, even if they were very young when you went on a mission? How did they remember that there was a dad here? <laughs> well, uh, there, there's a lot, you know, there, there's a lot, of, a lot in there. I mean, you know, just being in the, in the military, I may mean, think you're going to work just like anybody else is. It's just that sometimes you go to work for weeks <laughs> or months at a time, uh, which is, you know, I mean, for, for your children, for your family, it's, it becomes normal, unfortunately, <laughs> for, for them. I mean, we had to do what, what, what we did is we were just very intentional with our family, with, uh, with Jessica and I, I mean, when I would leave on, on a deployment, I mean, she would, she would still set the table for me. She would make a place for me. And I think she used to put like a picture of me there uh, at my, at my, uh, my seat at, at the table. Cause we always, uh, we always eat, uh, eat meals and especially dinner if we can't catch the other meals together. So, so I mean, we have some very intentional sort of routines in the home, in the family that keep us connected and so that that's just one that's just one example of the, some of the things that we've done as far as uh, as far as deployments are concerned you know you try to do you try to do your best from the dad's side to maintain some connection or communication whether it's with birthdays or presents uh, if you can send some things i mean i used to you know send care packages sometimes i would just go to the store and buy some various toys or whatever for the kids and i would send it to them and uh, and then Jess would take pictures of it and show me that they were opening it or whatever. And uh, just try to, you know, try to maintain the connection to let them know that you're still there and you're still thinking about them. Um, I think uh, Jessica and, you know, the, the family would pray for me while I was away. You know, you're just trying to keep, you're just trying to keep each other in your mind. It's still certainly very, very hard. I think honestly, Sometimes it's harder coming back together than it is being apart after a while because just a totally different routine, right? Just mom has been taking care of all this stuff. She's got a routine, everything she knows what she's doing. And then dad comes home and all of a sudden it's just, you know, kind of finding the new normal, the new balance. Okay. Well, who's, Oh, we're making this. Oh, Oh, dad wants to go here. I guess we're just going. And even we usually do this. Okay. Whatever. You know, th- those things, you kind of struggle through that a little bit. You know, oh, good, good communication with your family is certainly very important. And my wife, God bless her, she's very, very helpful with me to just kind of tell me when particular children are having maybe more of a difficulty than others. And she'll be like, hey, I think you need to go, you need to go spend time with, uh, with that one. Or you need to go spend time with that one. Just go do something with them and, you know, just go spend some time and, and hang out. So that, that's very, that's very helpful. But if the husband and wife are not on the same page, if they're not connected in that way, it can be a very, very uh, challenging environment to deal with. And that's why I really appreciated when you said that you both had served because I've known military families. And like you said, mom's been running the show and dad comes back and he tells the kids to do something. And they're like, well, I got to ask mom first. And so I imagine that without a biblical framework, I'm, I'm sure it's still difficult. Like you said, when you come sure. home, but with a biblical framework, you have a way to maneuver through. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, we, we kind of had to figure it out in the, in the beginning too. I mean, right. We, we'd be, we already had children before we even became Christians. So, I mean, we were kind of learning and struggling through, through the process. I mean, I, I've been so blessed. I mean, having been in the military for over 20 years and now expecting our 10th child, I've been able to be there for every single one of the children's birth, which is just phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal when you consider i mean some of them were pretty close i think jerusha she was just like i like i showed up like a couple of days right before she was born i remember I that home. yes <laughs> it, was, it was real close but yeah i mean just such such a huge blessing so i've been given so much grace uh in my family and through this whole experience that i am really truly truly grateful for and so i mean it, it, even through all those difficulties with the military i mean they've done a tremendous service still for my home and uh, and I try to look around and explain to the children that hey, you see the car we have out there? Hey, the Navy helped pay for that car. This house that we have, you know, the Navy's been paying for this house uh, or whatever it is, just to let them know there's still lots and lots of room for us to show gratitude and appreciation, even in the midst of of situations that are not the most ideal that we would that we would want. So I think it's fair to say that we all can be patriotic and be godly. It's not. It's staring away from being nationalistic that says our country right or wrong, that the template always has to be God's word over whatever we're thinking or discussing. Sure, absolutely. All right, Steve, any closing thoughts? Well, I think that, that most Christians get most of their information on the military and, and their views of Christians in the military from the news, and they need to go back to, to the folks who have written on this. They need to go back to... Dr. Greg Bonson and listen to his lectures on the Christian view of war and get a, a bigger picture of what Christian service and military is, uh, or even look at Christians at different periods, understand how Christians have served in the military for the last 2000 years. There needs to be uh, more education, I think, on Christians on, on how to understand military beyond our American evangelical Republican Democrat paradox. Well, Joe, thank you. I, now you got to figure out what to do with not having to go away so often every now and then. <laughs> Your family's got to get used to having you there all the time. That's a good problem. That's a great problem. I think so, too. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. If you have any comments on this podcast or any suggestions for future topics, email us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.